well, Josh. And I'm Owen. And we're your hosts here at the Record Room, where we are going to be digging through crates of the most wonderful thing in the world, music. That's right, music. All genres, all kinds, all types. We'll take a look at music in the news. We'll review some albums. We'll like have a good time and hang out. It's going to be fantastic. And oh, and my friend, turn that up to eleven, there real quick. What we what we want to take it to eleven as well. We want anything that's kind of surrounded music culturally. We want to talk about as well. So, if there are days that are commemorated in song, we'll talk about those days. Uh, if the, it'll just be kind of a music themed guy talk if you will it's gonna be fantastic and we're gonna start things off with our latest listens owen my friend what is it that you have been what song has been uh fun to listen to for you lately man so okay so i was telling you this pre-show so this was actually a pretty easy thing for me to do because i've been doing it for the better part of 15 years uh since itunes came out i have a playlist and i call it my current flames and i dump all the stuff that i'm listening to right now and typically the the lead off song is my favorite song and that right now is wilder days by morgan wade i'll go ahead and roll a little bit of that just smoky vocals one of the things that you'll probably figure out about me pretty quick is i love country music and this has i consider this a pop song but it's tinged with feelings of country so i just i think it's kind of cool it reminds me of summer days and chilling out and road trips and hanging out with your uh, your main squeeze Oh, that you know, it's funny that you brought up pop because when I was hearing it, that was the first thing that kind of jumped in my head. I was like, wow, I know that this is categorically country, but this is very pop at the same time. Um, it, it's a cool little song, and you're right about her voice. Her voice is very cool. And the other thing, though, when you said Morgan, I didn't think that it was going to be a girl singing, actually, because it's been my experience most most people that are uh <laughs> that that are named morgan and country come out and they're a guy so that threw me for a little bit of yeah. yeah absolutely i mean i th- i feel like uh, a lot of get a lot gets sort of written 
about like a California sound of country. And I feel like this has kind of got that same feeling as like Chris Shiflett's quote unquote country album. I don't know that it's really what I would call country, but it's what falls under the wider umbrella of country. What about you, my friend? Oh man, um, yours is newer and mine is a total throwback. So Excellent. I had um, the pleasure of seeing the new Bee Gees documentary on HBO oh, Max yes. and really enjoyed it. And this song came out, uh, well, I can't tell you when because I'm pretty sure it came out either, I'm pretty sure it came out before I was born. But um, there was that period of, like the disco sucks movement and the bgs decided okay we're not gonna be out in public but we're still gonna write songs and the first song that they play on this insane montage of just hit after hit after hit of songs that they wrote for everybody else was dion warwick doing heartbreaker and that song hit me because I hadn't heard that song since I was probably four years old sitting in my mom's 1984 Thunderbird. And oh, it, just, it just took me back immediately. And so I did what most people who uh, write songs and play guitar do when they hear a song that they love. They sit down and they learn how to play that song and try to get into the head of the person that wrote it. Yeah, man, I feel like uh, I can't wait to hear this because when you said Heartbreaker, the first thing that popped into my head and the only thing that's been in there for the last 30 seconds is Pat Benatar. So, oh, yeah, this is very different. So here we go with Heartbreaker. <laughs> Okay, so did that have you heard that one before? I had not heard that before, and I was struck by the instrumentation in there. And let me give you a little bit of background on why I go there first. So I took a class at University of Texas called uh, The History of Rock and Roll. 
And I got a chance to teach later when I taught high school uh, media teaks through rock and roll. So I taught the history of rock and roll in high school. And one of the things that we used was this thing called the rock window that I created. And I asked kids to break down songs to their component parts. So that's how I listen to music now too. So I heard strings in there. I heard all kinds of like horns. And then I finally heard it all came home to me with the Bee Gees sound when they were backing up on the chorus. Right. That was really amazing. Yeah. Dude, the, the thing that gets me about that song, I think, is Warwick's delivery of um, in the chorus, the uh, part where it's gotta get out of the spell that I'm you know that part right she's really pushing it there and but it's also the thing about it is it's a very bg phrasing oh definitely and and she does it and she does it so well so that to me is really impressive like not only of the bg songwriting but the ability of the singer to actually be able to fit into that mold and make it work for her but oh, it's man, yeah it's just a fantastic song it's a and song. It, it just takes me back man it's just one of those songs that make me feel like i'm a kid again and it, it's just really cool to hear it so it was a really neat really neat documentary i highly recommend that to anybody that might think they might like the Bee Gees. because oh, it yeah it's good really fun but um, forget about all this old stuff for a minute. Let, let's talk about new stuff. We've got two brand new albums that came out this last week. And they're both rock and roll albums uh, by two bands that are well-established from the 90s. Um, and I think we're going to start with probably the bigger of the two, the Foo Fighters Medicine at Midnight. And uh, Owen, I think we'll just switch off here. I'll let you go first. You review it, and then I'll tell you what I think, and then we'll kind of tear it apart, or we'll put it back together, or whatever. Absolutely. I feel like I want to start with a little bit of the opening track, because I feel like that presages what I feel uh, listening to this album. So I'm going to go ahead and listen to a little bit of uh, Making a Fire here. drums and that continued to strike me all the way through the album i feel like this is taylor hawkins's coming out party as a, 
amazing drummer. Like I, the whole time I was just like, geez, Taylor is like reducing his set to matchsticks. And then you get that, those wonderful vocals, the background vocals. And I think that signals, at least for the first half of the album, this real hooky pop sensibility that we haven't gotten from the Foo Fighters in a super long time. Uh, maybe since the first album, I don't quite know. You can argue with me on that one if you want to, but I really like it because I'm a sucker for a hook. Uh, I feel like there's nobody that is a bigger, like that'll, that'll just jump in and be on board with the song quicker than me if it's got an amazing hook. And all that, I feel like the first half of the album is just drunk with hooks. So, but I, I think it's a solid uh, eight and a half out of 10 for me. All right. that That's cool. Um, let me, let me give you my little thoughts on it. Uh, I, okay, first of all, I should point out that I, I do love the album. I, I think it's really cool. I have some issues that are outside of the album that I think um, are worth examining. Uh, the first being, I feel like most of the fans don't want this poppy album. I feel like everybody wants a return to Wasting Light. And I'm pretty convinced that no one's going to get that. I really don't. That's a salient point. I think you're totally onto something there. Absolutely. I think it's going to be a hard pill to swallow. Yeah, because I think this is a, the the thing everybody needs to remember is this is Grohl's vehicle to maneuver as he pleases, right? And right now, David Grohl is in love with the producer, Greg Kirsten. And don't get me wrong. I think Kirsten's a fantastic producer. He's done some really great work. The thing that gets me about Kirsten, though, is I would never peg him to produce a Foo Fighters album. And if we go back and look at the album prior, uh, Concrete and Gold, I did not like that album at all. I thought there were maybe two great songs off of it. Uh, Run and, oh man, I can't even think of the other one. So that, that tells you, I, I didn't see, I didn't feel a lot of sticking power with the last album. But um, this album is, is awesome. And I hate to use the term pop rock. I hate to use that because it's not really in vogue. But man, it's, it is a poppy album. I think the, the song that really sticks out for me is Cloud Spotter because they have a riff on there that's very maroon five and they out maroon five maroon five with this riff and i'm sorry i had to make that comparison but i but i've heard that riff in so many pop songs before like that that tone or that riff but it's it's just so good like do we need to lay a little bit of it down you want to listen yeah yeah let throw throw a little bit of that riff out there uh, let me reset my my dials here here we go Big baby, running high Hope you don't stay when the feeling dies I got sweet dreams, tucked in tight 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the the other thing that I kind of wanted to point out, um, I don't I don't just love Cloud Spotter. I love making a fire. I think that song's great too. Uh, I love waiting on a war, which I didn't think I would like initially. Um, but then the song that struck me as strange because it was the lead single was Shame. And the reason that struck me so weird is because it's unlike anything they've ever done. It, it just doesn't sound foo fightery. And as I've mentioned, the chorus makes me feel like Dave Grohl was sitting around watching Game of Thrones one night. Shame. 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 <laughs> and he just, he was like, that's it. I'm going to write that song. <laughs> this is for Cersei, everybody. This, this, yeah. this is my song for Cersei. Yeah, it's my song for Cersei. Maybe <laughs> you're a Cersei fan. Um, the, I mean, for me, I think I'm with you. It's probably an eight out of 10. I'd almost do seven and a half if I were to compare it with the rest of their catalog. But I, it's just, it's just a great album. And the fact that there's only nine tracks on there may have been to their advantage because everything is so focused. Everything sounds so focused. Like on Concrete and Gold, when he's working with Greg Kirsten, it feels like there's a push and pull going on. Like Kirsten's like, Dave, you really need to make this more of a pop album. And Grohl's like, no, we rock. We're the Foo Fighters. And because of it, I don't feel like that album was ever fully realized. But here, it feels like Grohl was like, okay, I'll listen to you. Let's, let's try the pop thing. Let's do it. And, it. and it works. And it breathes a little new life into the uh, Foo Fighters. And I, I like it. It's a, it's a good album. But again, tell me what you think. Don't you think people are going to be like, it's not wa wasting light. So I'm not sure I want to waste my time. Oh, I absolutely 100% agree with you. What was the what was the album they did in the different cities? What was the name of that one? Oh, Sonic Highways. Yeah. So I had a feeling a lot of times I, re I recalled back to Sonic Highways just because the tracks are so musically disparate, right? Played. This uh, Cloud Spotter reminds me like if if they had gone to uh, I don't know like a Memphis Soul or even like a Detroit uh, or a, a, like a like a New York in the seventies kind of vibe to it. I feel like uh, that's a club song and I could kind of see someone standing against the a look of banister kind of smoking on a a stogie bobbing in the head. It kind of had that vibe to it. Yeah. sounds to me like like yeah i can see somebody remixing that actually and actually putting absolutely. it in a club that that's uh that's something but i i uh i think it's a good album but if you're going out there and you're like oh maybe i should go buy it just know this the foo fighters best album is wasting light i don't know that they're ever going to do better than that but after that then there's like nothing left to lose the the debut album they they've got a great full catalog i just wouldn't put it in like the top 
five or top. Yeah. So in your opinion, Wasting Light is their best album. Oh, for sure. Oh, see, and I like that because mine, my favorite album, the one that I think is their magnum opus, if you will, is The Color and the Shape. I adore that album. And I think it's because of what Dave was going through with his divorce. And it's just so much pathos in it. So that one would be my top one. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I like Wasting Light. I find myself gravitating more towards Nothing Left to Lose the older I get. But but no, I totally understand that. Color and the Shape is a big, big album. And it's really hard to deny the drum, the opening drum beat of my hero. Like, oh God, yeah. You just get out of the way. Dave Grohl's playing the drums, man. It's it's impressive, so impressive. Well, and just that and, riff is just so face melty. Like, it's just it's it's everything that Tenacious D wanted to be when they came up with the idea of a face melting guitar riff. It was that's it. No, for sure, for sure. Well, do you have anything else you want to add to our Foo Fighter review of Medicine at Midnight? Dave Grohl is my main crush. That's oh, awesome. man. Yeah. Yeah, I got a friend who went to Nam, uh, and Dave Grohl was running the barbecue and served him barbecue. And I was like, dude, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I would totally be the Chris Farley fanboy. Remember when he met uh, Paul McCartney? Like, oh yeah, for sure. Remember that time when, yeah. when you went over to the different cities and you recorded a song there? <laughs> How was that? <laughs> right. Totally be that guy. So, um, the next album we're gonna review is. Well, I'll be honest. I didn't want to review this album. I didn't even want to listen to this album. Owen made me listen to it. I think I'm going to have Owen give the give the intro to what I'm going to slow clap this one, guys. <laughs> this was this was a Herculean effort. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm once again. I think playing the opening track presages sets the stage sets the table if you will sets the china out for the entire thing so i'm going to play a little bit of the opening track here and see what you think and uh maybe the same things that jump out to me will jump out to you as well here we go this is all my favorite songs off of weezer's okay human poppy sort of power poppy song structure 
but none of the booyah bays of the guitar and things is there. It's all different stringed instruments and uh, things. It sounds very music boxy almost. So, but the whole album kind of has that same vibe. And I don't know what I think about it yet. I really think I like it, but I'm not convinced yet. I probably need to listen to it seven or 10 more times, but I'm very intrigued and it has me hooked. But uh, those are my takeaways. What about you, sir? Okay. Um, I don't, I hardly know where to begin with this. I mean, I, I have, can't wait. I've been I have notes right here, but I, okay. So here's the, the first thing you need to know is, is I think my, my, my feelings towards Weezer need, need to be stated. Number one, Weezer was a middle school band for me, okay? And while I thought that Buddy Holly was okay and the Blue Album was good, I was more impressed with Green Day's Dookie at that time. Uh, just good. The Blue Album is not just good. But okay. We'll, we'll come back to that later. We'll come back to that later. But I get it. I understand it. If you want to destroy my sweater, it's all great, right? Um, cut to let's skip over Pinkerton because I had left I wasn't even going to try it uh Weezer didn't catch back up with me until I was working at a music store and they released the green album and that was genius I thought that album was just a clever pop album I I just love what he did with you know, nothing too tricky on the guitar solos. Whatever he played on the solo was the exact melody of the of the vocals. And it was just fun. And so then I was like, okay, I'll go with you on this. And then Maladroit came out and I got that album. And I was like, okay, maybe I don't really want to stick around for this. And then the last thing I heard from them was Beverly Hills. And then I've heard nothing from Weezer since that song. That's it like nothing so you will imagine my shock when owen is like dude we gotta listen we gotta review okay human i'm like whatever dude and i put my earbuds in uh, while i'm grading papers at work on my conference period and i'll be doggone there's not a guitar in sight anywhere like i really expected the the loud that you hear that that is that is just synonymous with Weezer, right? Like that's their thing. But I didn't hear it. Instead, I was hearing all these beautiful orchestral flourishes and strings and you know occasional brass, and it was all done real tastefully. And it just it really blew my mind. So here's a couple things I want to say about it. Uh, number one. I dig that there's no guitar on this album uh, and I'm a guitar player. So that's shocking to me. I think that's just fantastic. Uh, the other thing I want to say is this is evidence that bands can rock bands from the nineties can age gracefully. Now I know they're going to do Van Weezer. So it'll probably just throw all this out the window, but right now, this is this is fantastic like just a really great way to show your musicianship and uh how you've grown 
in your songwriting. Uh, but this is the part that I wanted to tell Owen. This is the thing. This is the thing I wanted to tell you, man. I've been waiting. All okay. So one of my favorite tracks on the album is when I play my piano. The reason it's probably one of my favorite tracks, if not my favorite, is if you listen to that and you don't pick up the heavy Paul McCartney wing vibes, I, I like, it's just great. It's a very shrouded nod, in my opinion, but dude, that's a total McCartney composition. Like, solo McCartney. Right, that's what it sounds right. like to me. Do we need to do we need to roll tape on that one a little bit? I think you do. Okay. I think you do. My wife is upstairs. My kids are upstairs. And I haven't washed my hair in three weeks. I should get back to these Zoom interviews. But I get so absorbed and time flies I just can't let go When I'm playing my piano totally hear what you're saying though about the wings feeling yeah and if you let it go a little bit longer which i don't want you to do but if you had let it go a little bit longer there's even like it feels like it's a whole new section of the song like a whole new song so it it just it brought that home and then the last thing i'll say before we really get into a discussion on it would be this is a bold album like to me, this is a bold move for Rivers, and um, I guess the last thing I want to say, I just wonder how Weezer fans will react to this because I know you and I are both like, what? I wasn't expecting this. I don't know. <laughs> this isn't the Weezer I'm used to. What is this? <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. I think that both of the albums we chose to listen to tonight are departures, and I think uh. I, I think that's important to note. And I think that that also culturally is probably salient in terms of where we are because the last eight months has been a departure from everything we know. Uh, so I, I think that I th I, it's interesting to look at how art reflects culture. And I think that idea is definitely present in both of the albums we've listened to tonight. Yeah. I, you know, the thing about it is the Foo Fighters album was done in February of last year. Right. But they didn't release it. And I even remember like that summer just thinking, man, I could really use a new Foo Fighters album right now. Why won't you drop that? Right. <laughs> like we all needed something. I don't know why you didn't just drop it. But definitely. Um, Anyways, but no, the, I, I, uh, I agree with you. It's a big departure. Both albums are departures. Um, I'm interested if we'll see more of this from different artists. Just a, well, let's try something completely different. So are you, are you a huge, I think you're a bigger Weezer fan than I am, judging by your tone. 
Oh, I love Weezer so much, and I will tell you why, because this goes back to my youth. I'm a huge Cars fan. Oh, and okay. So I was in college when the Blue Album came out, and the first thing I noticed was that it was produced by the great Rick Ocasek. Oh, Rick Ocasek. Immediately. And his fingerprints are all over that album. Like, and I think he played, I think he played backing, I think he played some backing guitar. I think he did some backing vocals. I just, I feel like that's, that they inherited the heritage of the cars on that album. And I think that's why it's, it's more of a, a feeling with me because I love the cars so much. Well, I love the cars too, but I think he, uh, I, I noticed a more of a Carsy influence on the Green album, actually. Oh, my gosh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, but I um, really, I really love Pinkerton. I think Pinkerton's my favorite album by them. Honestly, oh, Pinkerton. You, you should. You know what? One of these, one of these episodes, we should dissect that album. Yeah, totally. There were so many rumors going around about that album when it came out. Like, you know, there were so many kids going, Pinkerton's so great. And they'd tell me why it's great. And I'd be like, that sounds terrible. <laughs> like, that doesn't sound great at all. Well, like, I, I, I remember all the rumors too. Like, Rivers is homeless and Rivers is playing soccer at Harvard. And I mean, because it was a long time between that album and the Blue album. Right. And so, even longer definitely. between even longer between that and the green oh yeah so, absolutely well and so, i will tell you i will divulge a little bit of uh, of owen of o, the soft underbelly of owen here so <laughs> pink triangle hits me hits me harder than every other song i think that weezer does and i think it is because you're gonna laugh you took us off when i say this back then i had a crush on Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. When she had her sitcom, I thought she was the perfect woman for me. Like she was uh, kind of awkward, socially awkward, you know. Let's and talk I, about the halftime show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. But seriously, I, I'm not a huge fan of The Weeknd, but I didn't think he did a terrible job. Okay. Yeah. I, I did. I, the thing that sold me on the week on the performance, the thing that I thought was the most interesting was probably the set that he was using. Like visually, I thought it was a really cool show. It was just fun to look at, if nothing else. And then I'll tell you, me and my wife had the same problem the next day. We we both woke up and we're like, I can't. I can't get I can't feel my face out of my head can you and she was like nope and we just, just all day that song was stuck in our head all day blinding lights is a great song as well by the way but it doesn't stick with me like I can't feel my face that bass line just it kills me every time I hear it I'm like that's the jam that's the jam what do you think I thought it was really interesting. I, I am not a fan of The Weeknd. Um, I can, I mean, I, I, I recognized about half the songs, I guess. Uh, Starboy, I think, is probably my favorite out of the songs he played. Um, I, I Generally, it just, I, I mean, you, you probably have heard me say this a million times. I can acknowledge all the talent 
that he has not only in 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 uh musical ability and uh production uh song selection and things like that it just doesn't he does not move the needle at all for me like it just it's it's he's just one of those artists that fades into the background now i did like the set um i'm gonna tell you i I, I was deeply disturbed by the choir with those masks. Like I was, I was, I was like on the point of being scared. Like <laughs> that's, that's where I am. And then they came out with the face mat, the, like the, you know, the bandages. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you got to see this, but somebody, uh, somebody memed and said, dude, they came out and they had jock straps on their face. <laughs> it did look that way. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> It was, I mean, I, you know what, he's, he's one of those that are, that are artists, like it's right. not just the music, it's, it's everything's art. So to that end, and I also was thinking, you know, I bet he was working inside a box because of COVID restrictions. So oh, yeah, he probably couldn't do what he really wanted to do, but he, I still think he put on a good show. Now, is it the best Super Bowl halftime ever? No, 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 no. And we'll talk about oh, that. Yeah, exactly. That's a topic of another show right there. Of another show. But but um, but you know what? Good for you, Weekend. You paid $7 million, and a lot of people watched your show and probably bought your music. I will tell you, one of the things I really enjoyed, I, I've, I've enjoyed the memes this week when he was inside the gold room. Oh, yeah. All kinds of really funny memes about you know, hey, my, this is what my dad looks like when he takes a selfie. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. So hilarious. <laughs> it's been, yeah, it's been pretty funny. Ah, man. Well, uh, I guess the best way to segue into this is we're going to end every show with our top three something. So, yes. Owen's got and- a top three, I've got a top three. So right. what we where we thought we would go is we thought we would do this one with top three covers. Top three covers. Now, oh man, this was tough because I had to decide. I was like, do I go with what everybody else thinks is probably the top three or do I provide my top three? And I landed with my top three. I think you did too. Absolutely. Yeah. So we've got some kind of there's a few there's like one or i can tell you one for sure is obscure on my list the other two people i think i've heard but i'm sure i know for a fact owen's list is obscure (laughs) and i've actually tweaked one song because one of the songs there had there was another cover on that same album that i think i liked better so i changed it at the last second no okay all right well i sent you my list so you know you yeah, know what I'm... Do you, uh, do you, you want to go first? You want me to go first? I'll go first. I haven't gone first this entire podcast, Owen. <laughs> this entire one. It's always been to Owen. It's always Owen. Owen goes first every single time. No. Hey, um, right, man. Like <laughs> that should be. All right. You want to go in reverse order? Three, two, one. Yes. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, awesome. Do you want, do you want to, do you have anything you want to, you want to just roll this one or do you want to say anything no let me let me say something um i don't remember what summer it was but there was a point where mtv stopped playing videos and i started watching vh1 and (laughs) i didn't really have much of a choice 
And uh, the movie that came out was had Sharon Stone in it, and I think one of the Baldwin brothers, and it was called Sliver. I was not old enough to go and see that film, I think, at the time. Uh, but VH1 kept playing this track off the soundtrack by a band called UB40, and it was a cover of a very well-known song, I Can't Help Falling In Love With You. And this cover is what a cover should be, in my opinion. You're co- if you're going to cover a song, it needs to at least be on the same level with the original, or it needs to be better. And for all the Elvis fans out there, I'm sorry, this is a much better version than, than the Elvis version. This is a UB40, can't help falling in love with you. Wild men sing Only fools rushing But I am here Falling in love with you number three that was ub40 with can't help falling in love with you owen you dig that one yeah absolutely man i one of the things that you're going to learn about me is i i dearly love reggae and i love a reggae bass line and while it's not as hard as anything let's say from from tough gong in terms of the bass line it's there if you listen to it it's there and i love a reggae bass line well and I would agree Go with ahead. you. I, I, it stands on its own, and it, 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 it's unique from Elvis's version, for sure. Yeah. Well, the, the other thing, too, is UB40, they do covers really well. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that's what they're known for. Their cover of Red Red Wine is, is fantastic. I know Neil Diamond's probably made a good sum off of that one. <laughs> but, um, sure. all right, so number two. It's funny because the next one is a movie soundtrack one as well. Uh, there was a terrible, terrible Godzilla movie made with uh, Matthew Broderick. But the, the, the lead up to it, they had what they were kind of selling as a big soundtrack. We won't go into the absolute debacle that was Puff Daddy and Jimmy Page doing Come With Me. We won't do that. That's just horrible. But we will talk about the Wallflowers coming out and covering David Bowie. Now, I knew who David Bowie was. I was not unaware of him. But you have to understand that I'm old enough that the David Bowie I grew up with was Let's Dance, Fame, all that stuff. The, the 80s one, the, mo- the modern love David Bowie. That's my favorite era of Bowie. Um, I had never heard the original version of Heroes, but I heard this first, and this made me go back and listen to the original version of Heroes, but man, I like the Wallflowers version better, and I know somebody somewhere is going to want to crucify me for even saying that, but I think they did it justice. There's a real subtlety to it 
that I think is fantastic. And really, you know, I think the Wallflowers are kind of underrated. Everybody puts them off as a 90s band, which is where they were. But gosh, they made some good music in the 90s. And um, at number two, for me and my top three covers of all time, I'm going to introduce you to, or you've already heard, the Wallflowers doing Heroes off the Godzilla soundtrack. Wallflowers with Heroes. Um, I, I love that song. Plus, it also reminds me a lot of high school, too. Owen, were you a fan of that cover? Did you like that one? I really like it. And I'm a huge David Bowie fan. Um, I'll tell you where I heard it. I heard it in The Replacements, the Keanu Reeves football movie, where, you know, they were all the scabs coming into the, the 80s. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. After, I love that know, movie. After, Oh, I love it too. It's also, was, they also lean heavily on uh, the Rolling Stones Voodoo Lounge album, which oh, is for sure. fantastic too. But anyways, continue. Yeah, no, that's, so that's, I, I, that was where I heard it first. And uh, I, as much as I love Bowie, I think I do. I think I like this version as well. I, I There's just some of the ethereal nature of David Bowie in that track, especially how it's produced. I think it obscures, let's say, the bass line. I'm a huge bass line. And there's a really great groove in that song that you hear in the in the Wallflowers version that you don't necessarily hear as much in the Bowie track. Right. So, yeah, I think this one's a better version. For sure. For well, sure. that's nice to hear. I was afraid you're going to tear me to shreds. Um, <laughs> None so. of that tonight, sir. No. Okay. We, we wouldn't. We wouldn't want. Uh, we wouldn't want uh, Jacob Dylan calling into the show and. Oh and no! No no. Us. So. Yeah, and him whining about his father. No, never mind. Let's move on. Uh, so, anyone who knows me, anyone, knows that I hold an allegiance to one specific band above all others, and that is. The mighty U2, yes, those four lads from Ireland who I just think are fantastic. I love their music. I love everything they do. Even even when they're terrible, I, I think they're good, with the exception of No Line on the Horizon. I will, you will, I will be quoted as saying that is not a good album, but that's a whole nother thing for another time. When I got the best of 1980 to 1990 compilation that they did back in the 90s, um, they had an extra disc that had B-sides on it. And I was really excited because I didn't have any of those songs. And I was still 
a young U2 fan at that time. But so anything I could get my hands on that was new, you know, was great. I was even going and getting the the CD imports from like Virgin Megastore at the Grapevine Mills Mall or whatever. But um, I was listening to it and I came one night driving home. This song came on and it was called Dancing Barefoot. Now, at the time, I thought it was actually their song, and it has a real mood to it. The previous two songs on the list were on a movie soundtrack. This song should have been on a movie soundtrack somewhere because it sets a mood, and I love a good song that can set a mood. The song was originally done by Patti Smith, so because this song was by someone else who I'd never heard, I had to go back and hear the original version. And again, it's one of those where it's like, no, no, they did it better. Not just because they're my favorite band, but honestly, this is a much better realization of Patti Smith's ideas, I think. But she probably would argue, no, it's not good. I'm not really sure. I do know that they're buddies, but anyways. Here at number one for me, is U2's cover of Dancing Barefoot by Patti Smith. She is bad addiction. She is addicted to heat. She is the root connection. And she is connecting with me. Here I go and I don't know why I spin so ceaselessly Could it be he's taking over me? I'm dancing barefoot Headed for a spin Some strange music my top three covers and now before we hand it over completely though and i have to ask did you enjoy dancing barefoot i really really like that and i i think one of the things that struck me is the song the structure of the song it is a patty smith song like it sounds like patty smith but i love this version of it because it makes it seem more road worn which I think fits the tone of the song. And I did, I played through that, just that awesome guitar riff that uh, is right there at the end of the first verse. I just think that's really cool. Oh yeah. And there's like a full on solo later in it, but do you see what I mean? That thing needs, that should have been in a movie. It almost feels like it would have fit in a Tarantino flick in a, in a way um, because it, it's got that, I don't know. It's got that vibe to it, but I really, really dug it. But uh, Owen, absolutely. Would you you care to uh, grace us with your top three? Absolutely. I am happy to do that. Um, And I don't know 
audience, uh, if I can put this in any order, uh, because you could call it a three, two, one order, but you could also call it a one, two, three order. Um, and uh, if, if I may take a liberty, dear co-host, uh, I have a recent addition that that I would like to add as a, a almost a baker's dozen-y kind of thing at the end, just to talk about, because I think it's an interesting cover. So this mm -hmm. first song is a Bob Dylan track. And I think it was actually done on basement tapes. Um, I think I have that on vinyl, the basement tapes version, but it was just sort of a, because there's several different versions of lyrics and things like that. And it's been done by a whole lot of people, including Dylan himself. Um, but this version is my favorite and it is by the birds. Uh, and what you're going to notice is there is a decidedly kind of country flair to this to this list, and I assure you that that my tastes definitely branch way beyond just country. But that's kind of where I am right now. So um, one of the things uh, I love about the birds is they were not afraid to try to branch out, just like the Foo Fighters were earlier in the show, just like Weezer in the in, in the middle of the show there. Uh, and this was from their, um, maybe it was critically acclaimed, but it was not really well received when it came out album. Um, in fact, uh, it's called, the album is called Sweetheart of the Rodeo, but it's actually weathered to kind of be their bellwether album, like they're, they're one of their better albums. And um one of the sort of indices of how it was received was after they released this, they played uh, the Opry and got booed because long hairs like the birds, they don't belong at the Ryman Auditorium. So they got booed off the stage. Um, this also, this album was, uh, was had one of the better sort of co- workers i guess or co-writers on it um and he really influenced the sound of the album it's the great graham parsons uh who is one of my all-time favorites um i don't know that we would even have what we would call alternative country these days if it weren't for his contributions in the 60s and 70s creating what he called cosmic cowboy music so uh, with my first or, or third, however you want to look at it, numbers, you know, that's a man-made construct. So <laughs> we'll uh, we'll listen to this in whatever order we want to, darn it. Uh, this is uh, You Ain't Going Nowhere by The Birds. Flat's so swift, rain won't lift, gate won't close. Get your mind off winter time You ain't going nowhere Up your tent, you ain't going nowhere. 
first track. Um, what did you hear, Josh? It it really res- uh, it really reminded me of the '60s. Um, trying to think of the name of the I guess the Valley. There, they just did a documentary on it. Jacob Dylan was in it. Uh, the sound coming out of California. Oh, the Cadian. Uh, yeah. Canyon? Yeah. It, sound, for sure. Yeah. Right. So it has that to me. But man, it's country through and through. Right. Like that. That's that's very odd that they got booed off because I would think today if that were played at, at the Ryman, people would go nuts and say, oh, yeah, fantastic yeah, totally. job. This is one of those albums, too. It's one of my all-time favorite albums. It's probably on my, if we ever do a show on Desert Island Discs, this would be one of my Desert Island Discs. Who's playing guitar Who's playing guitar with the birds at that time? Well, so, okay, so it's uh, still Hillman, but what you're okay. hearing, and I forget his name, he's a session musician, musician and he's playing the steel. Oh. And uh, they called him in at the last second. He was in a re- another recording session that said, we want some steel guitar on this track. And he was like, well, how much do you want? And they're like, just go, go nuts. And <laughs> so he did. Like, it's all over the track. And a steel guitar is, I think, probably why I love it. And when it gets to the solo, it's maybe my favorite solo. Uh, I'd have to think about that. It's definitely top three solo of all time. But it just it's ethereal and it's amazing and i don't know if you heard the organ but the organ is the green is green parsons in there as well so ah, have we ever figured out where he's buried <laughs> well he got burned they, they oh. burned him oh okay so yeah so I, I don't know where his burned remains would be but okay. that, i never understood why that wasn't a i mean it's been made into movies but i don't understand why it hasn't been made into a a good movie and B, why it hasn't that whole, why it hasn't like just sold a million tickets? Because what a great story of his of his death and how his buddies stole his body and took it to Joshua Tree because that's where he wanted to go was Joshua Tree. Oh and man, it was such a great story. A lot of good music in Joshua Tree. <laughs> talk about desert. Talk about desert island discs. We'll talk to that. We'll talk about that later. Okay. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Another thing too on Sweetheart of the Rodeo. So I have that's one of those albums that I have have it on every format. So I have it on cassette, CD, and album. Wow. And uh, one of the things on the CD version is it's the uh, it was the I guess it was maybe the twentieth anniversary version. I don't remember the year, but. It came with all of the extra tracks uh, because Graham Parsons laid down about six vocal tracks where he was the lead vocalist and the label said, no, we can't play those. And I think the Graham Parsons lead vocal tracks are just amazing. And so that album actually has all of those where he sings. I think he actually does lead on that song as well. It's really, really good. But I Terry. So... (laughs) I guess this would be number two either way. If you want to look at uh, the last one is three or one, and the last one is three or one, this would be two either way. So this is a song by the great songwriter Larry McMurtry. And uh, I don't know what to say other than it's, this is maybe the best version of this song I ever, ever heard. And I'm going to let it play through the, uh, the first verse. 
so then we'll talk about it. this is wild man from borneo by rodney parker in 50 peso reward Came to this circus many moons ago. My mother's in your storybook. She loved a jungle king and left me standing all alone inside the sand rain. When a bamboo cage I crossed the raging sea. Up page torn clean from history. A hairy, scary, legendary screaming souvenir. Don't you get too close to me? Don't you get too near? Cause I'm no Parker in 50 peso reward have you ever heard that song Josh no I haven't but I was uh, see that's the kind of country I can get behind it it sounds like country music but there's a certain rock element to it and the guitars are not shy so <laughs> right exactly this is what I guess Dale Watson would call Americana, which I, I can get more behind that title than country. Country is so ginormous that it, it uh, it's like rock, right? Well, that's not very specific enough, but I, I can definitely get behind Americana as this sort of sound. Um, I, so another thing, we had the steel guitar on the last track, which totally is a key to my heart. The banjo is also another key to my heart, and this has got heavily, heavy, heavy banjo on it as well. But my favorite part of this song is the story about the wild man from Borneo. And, and I think that's a really powerful look in the mirror for us as a culture. So I think that's a dope song. What did you think? I, I I enjoyed it. I would like to hear more of it, and I think I will. I think we're supposed to be having playlists up or something, right? Absolutely, so. yeah, definitely. I have a covers playlist that I'm going to put up on uh, that's got all these tracks on it. So, uh, uh, yeah, we'll get that going as well. I, that's definitely a part of the show I want to uh, to do is is engage our audience that way. So, the last track, whether you want to call it one or three, is. <laughs> by probably my numero uno all-time favorite band um that's not to say neil young is actually my favorite artist but this is my numero uno all-time favorite band and they're an austin band uh they're currently on hiatus but there's a couple bands that have sprung out of this uh carcass i guess if you want to look at it that way this is by a band called the gourds 
and uh, they came out uh, about the time I was graduating college in 96. And um, it's, it's a visceral thing. It reminds me of a certain time and it reminds me of Austin back then. But I also love the fact that this band defies description defies genre because one track will be super zydeco one track will be a hard you know sort of a garage rocker one will be um country um and it's because all the different people in the band have different interests and they let all of those interests loose at different times so uh but this is a really interesting cover and this was probably this is the track that they are most widely known for and had this song been released uh, in the age of streaming, I think the gourds would be huge. But because it came out in the age of 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 of, of illegal downloads, they they uh, they they really sort of never saw a whole lot of financial financial rewards for this. Uh, but this is uh, Gin and Juice by the Gourds. that out now because it gets into some cuss words pretty darn quickly there but you'll recognize <laughs> that track from uh, Snoop Dogg it is a Snoop Dogg cover and uh, I always thought it was really interesting that there was a country cover of a Snoop Dogg song I have I have actually heard that one before yeah 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 yeah, yeah yeah I when I heard it I thought that's pretty creative and again but it lives up to my standards of it's got to be either as good as the original or something completely different and better, you know, and, and they, and they do that. So I, I thought that, I think that's a really fun cover. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I have one more bonus edition and this really doesn't count as a fave. So this really isn't part of the top three. Uh, this is just a talking point. I ran across this one recently on a Spotify playlist. And when we talked about covers, I thought, man, we have to talk about this. I'm not even going to tell. I haven't even told Josh about this because I want to get his unthought opinion, his, his raw opinion on it. So here we go. I'm not even going to tell you what it is. I'm just going to roll it. Can't seem to keep himself out of trouble. 
So he goes out and he makes his money the best way he knows how. Another body like cold in the gutter. Listen to me. Don't go chasing waterfalls. Please stick to the. All right, Josh. I'm going to let you pick your jaw up off the floor. What do you think? Uh well, I'm having a similar reaction I had when I heard the Weezer album. Uh, yeah, well, hear, hear me out here. The, every movie trailer that you see, there's some ethereal cover of a song from the 80s and then enters a girl voice, a, a female voice singing lead. And... And that's kind of the thing. They've turned this trope on its head a little bit, though, because now it's a 90s song, but that's a that's a male lead singer. Who is covering that? That's Death Cab for Cutie, sir. That's genius. That is a really cool cover. Like it's it's just it's just a really cool different vibe that I would not have expected. You know, it kind of reminds me of when uh the British band Travis covered. Uh, babe, hit me baby one more time oh, one of my all-time favorites as well yeah so no that was really really good <laughs> yeah i thought that was a good surprise i wanted to hit that with you and see what you thought before i because yeah. i feel like if i told you it would have lost all the luster <laughs> yeah no kidding yeah i would have been like oh weird <laughs> that would have been exactly. it exactly so that's it for the debut episode of the record room. I think it's Man, time what to a lot of fun. Yeah, it's time to close up shop and and head out. Owen, super great uh, talking with you, and I look forward to doing the next one. It's a bi-weekly program, ladies and gentlemen. So we'll see you in a couple weeks. But the next episode, we plan on both viewing framing britney so totally gonna be awesome or really really a disturbing look at culture of pop music so i'm both scared and excited all at the same time but i'm josh and i'm owen and this has been the record room y'all have a wonderful day we'll see you soon Has a natural obsession for temptation.